Hello and welcome to episode 9 of Inspiring Psychologists, Breaking the Mould of Private Practice. I'm Wendy Kendall, your host, a psychologist and private practice coach. Today we're exploring the power of collaboration, working with big companies to create positive change in the workplace. We'll delve into the transformative stories of two exceptional business psychologists, Michelle Minikin, founder and captain of culture at Work Pirates, and Rebecca Longman, author, career coach, podcaster, and now organizational psychology consultant for Mind Gym. Our conversation today will unpack key themes, including the shifting power dynamics in the workplace and the value of an evolving psychological contract informed by our private practice experiences and the innovative strategy of positive disruption. We'll also explore the idea of partnering with smaller companies as a way to influence larger corporates' behaviours through their supply chains. If you're a psychologist looking to broaden the reach of your private practice, this episode will inspire you to look at how you can create enduring systemic change within larger organisations. Remember, you can connect with like-minded psychologists and continue this conversation in our Inspiring Psychology Practices Facebook group. And for more resources and information about our guests today, be sure to visit our website at inspiringpsych.com. That's inspiringpsych.com. Now, let's dive into this inspiring discussion. Hello and welcome to episode nine of the Inspiring Psychologists podcast, where we are breaking the mold of private practice. And today we are talking about the power of collaboration, working with big companies to create positive change in the workplace. And I'm going to be talking to two of my colleagues, uh, Michelle Minikin and Rebecca Longman, who are both business psychologists. And, you know, I'm pretty happy because the business psychologists are back in the house. We've been talking with clinical and counseling psychologists. And as much as I love my clinical and counseling colleagues, I'm feeling like I'm getting in the comfort zone with my occupational colleagues today. So I'm really looking forward to sharing this discussion where we're going to find out more about how business psychologists are shaping the future of private practice. So welcome to the podcast to Michelle Minikin and Rebecca Longman. Hello there. Hi. 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 (laughs) It's great to be with you today. And I'm We were talking in the comments on LinkedIn, I think, when we put the um, notice up for this LinkedIn Live that was coming out and um, commenting that, first of all, it's really awesome to be kind of back in the room together because we've known one another now for about, um, what, five, five years, at least six years? Because, Michelle, you're one of the originals, as we call you, from the original Psychology Practice Accelerator program, which feels like a world away now since I first met you at that point. Mm -hmm. And Rebecca, I think you were like 
um, Practice Accelerator 2 or something. I was, because I remember when I first joined, I was I had my first son, and he's yes. five and a half now, And because oh, you got him a little TPPA um, yeah, baby TPPA girl. one. <laughs> Which I still have. <laughs> yes. He was the first TPPA baby, I think. Yes, yes, and yeah. he was not the last. <laughs> We've yeah. had several since, which is pretty awesome. Um, so... Uh, I'm also really, or oh, we were kind of excited in the uh, comments as well, because um, you two are now living within 20 miles of one another. Whereas when we first started out, um, Rebecca, you were on the other side of the the Atlantic. Yes. <laughs> Beaming to us from the east coast of America every time. That's right. Yeah, I was in Connecticut and I just moved back six weeks ago. And yeah. Michelle and I have yet to meet because my life's been pretty chaotic since moving back, but it's on yes. the cards. Yes. <laughs> um, it's on yeah. the list of things to do. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, <laughs> um, you know, next time I'm in the north of England, I'm going to have to buzz up and see the pair of you. Absolutely. Uh, right. So we've just got straight into, you know, the whole like, oh, isn't it nice being with our mates again? But could I ask you <laughs> for some um, for some introductions, please? So, Michelle, starting with you, an intro to who you are and what you're up to. Who am I? I don't know today. Um, <laughs> very existential question. Like, like Matthew, I'm going to be Tina Turner. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I was Kate Bush with this hairstyle. <laughs> I had a bit of a hair disaster last night. So if you're, you're Matthew, <laughs> go on. <laughs> we'll, we'll get into it. Yeah. Yeah, too much coffee already this morning, clearly. So my name is Michelle Minikin. I'm an organisational psychologist and coach um, and yeah. soon to be author, which has been painful and scary, but mostly yes. painful, writing. Um, I am the sort of the co-founder. I'm the, the culture captain of a company called Work Pirates, which I uh, run with my partner and my partner um so that's that's interesting so we do things like leadership development coaching um touch on some neurodiversity stuff as well so yes based in newcastle yes i also have a yeah an adhd diagnosis which is also lots of fun yeah yeah which you also talk about um very kind of share a lot of stuff and I think I've learned a lot of things from you about the the um insights and information that you've shared about that so fabulous thank you over to Rebecca Longman thank a little you. bit of an intro from um, you please sure so I'm Rebecca Longman I currently work for an organization called Mind Gym um as um a consultant, I guess, really, kind of in leadership development, training, um, sort of a management role in there. And I've actually, it's it's been a bit of a, a sort of journey, really, for me, because I have freelanced for them, and now I'm kind of on a, a permanent contract. But um, I'm always kind of exploring new things and I'm sort of moving around the business a little bit and doing different things, moved from the US, moved over here. Um, and I'm always sort of still looking at my private practice stuff as well. So I'm also an organizational psychologist. Um, I am also a coach, but I don't use my coaching skills as much as I would like. Um, and I'm also an author. 
Um, so I wrote a book called Let's Love to Work, which is about basically giving people the sense that they have ownership over how their careers play out, um, more so than I think people give themselves credit or realize that they have. I think it's very easy for us to get um, stuck in the kind of hamster wheel of how work controls us, I guess, um, and we forget to make those choices. So that's kind of what that book's about. Um, and the thing that that sort of holds me back from continuing to um, do more in that space is just the fact that I have two little boys. <laughs> They're three and five, and they are a lot of work. Um, and so outside of kind of my, my day job, I struggle a little bit to fit everything in so I very much want to do more in that space and, and I try and apply a lot of that in the work that I do in my role um which I'll talk a bit more about later but yeah exactly so and exactly and what I yeah I remember when we first met that um you had been doing consultancy for big companies and I think at the time you were working as Red Ponder which I really loved this um, kind of play on the words and so on. Um, but the, um, and, and then what I really remember about the development of your private practice and what I think is a really interesting journey to share with people has been, um, and in fact, Michelle, I, I see reflections of this with your journey as well, where you have um, both um, taken several iterations and evolutions in how you've developed your practices. And it's almost like as you have been challenging companies to create um, more positive changes, you yourselves have evolved through those positive changes as organizations, as as businesses. So Rebecca, remember, you know, Love to Work was this wonderful kind of grounded analytic project that you undertook where it was accompanied by podcasting. And then you wrote your book and then it evolved into connecting with this organization with Mind Gym where you were freelancing. Um, and then obviously life has evolved and at the moment you've moved back into that role, but still with, as you said, these are the these are the threads that are really meaningful. So, yeah, I'm just really interested in um, kind of understanding your perspective on, on these ev evolutions. And Michelle as well, I remember that um, I think when we first started working together, you, um, you uh, evolved through some projects. And then I remember one of the big things that happened was working with Sam Conniff, if, if I get in the name right. Yep. Yeah. I didn't really work with him. I just read his book, but yes. Right. <laughs> yeah, but no, no, but then no, but then there was like a, a partnership that started to evolve, which was very influential. Mm -hmm. And then through Inspiration North and the podcasting, and then also then into Work Pirates. So it's like this, these very strong evolutions in positive change and development in your workplaces, whilst you're also challenging other organizations to do that. And I think that's like really fascinating. So, um, Rebecca, I, how's your audio doing? Oh, right. It's maybe not working. So, <laughs> Michelle, 
<laughs> Michelle. <laughs> so, Michelle, um, for you, can you kind of reflect on some of that journey and those evolutions and whether that were, was that intentional or what was driving that or, yeah, whatever reflections you have on that? Yeah, I was like, well, we'll go back to when I got my first proper job as a psychologist after doing my master's and I was working in a independent psychology practice with a, a chap who ran his own business and I, I was like that. oh I'd love to do this when I grow up but being a young female bubbly thing I don't think I'd be taken seriously at that point so mm. I embarked on the career in um in in various companies and did lots of sort of selection development type of stuff and it wasn't until 2016 when I either got sacked or quit still don't really know to this day <laughs> and uh, thought bugger this for a bunch of bananas I'm going to do it on my own because I was at, like technically a proper grown-up at that point right. and I fell into that trap I suppose of creating what you see around you so um, yes it's a great way to describe it yeah and I never fit in at work but I didn't know why at that point and so I created this fairly it's like boring um psychology practice that what didn't really represent me and I found hi I really struggled to sort of connect with it because it was just the same as everybody else and trying to sort of look all professional and formal. And, you know, as soon as they sort of saw that, they were like, oh, yes. And then they met me. And then I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not super formal. Um, our branding has swearing in it, you know, heaven forbid. And <laughs> and so I, I, I really struggled to sort of connect with that. Um then I met James and I read the Be More Pirate books and something almost clicked, that sort of permission to be more us. So we created the Inspiration North podcast as a very expensive hobby. Um, and we learned so much by meeting and interviewing people every Monday for 148 weeks. That's we amazing. <laughs> Absolutely just, amazing. Just nuts. And then the pandemic, <laughs> pandemic happened and we realised we were just so busy doing things that weren't really bringing any money in so we you know luckily we got some big projects to sort of see us through so we didn't starve but I'd lost I'd lost that loving feeling as it were for, yes. <laughs> for, for the previous company and I literally I was sitting here James's desk is next to mine and I went downstairs to make a tea and came back and I was like we need to rebrand and within 10 minutes, Work Pirates, <laughs> we were on GoDaddy and the .com was available. All the socials <laughs> were available. It wasn't anywhere near um, protected, looking at the, the trademark stuff. So we're like, right, this is it. It's obviously waiting around politely for us. So we created the brand, got some awesome people to help with that and started being more us. Yeah. And you and I were both part of the NatWest Entrepreneur Accelerator. We were. I forgot. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. We both did that for a spin. And it was all about grow, 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 scale, scale, scale. 
and and I'd seen a couple of my colleagues on the program grow, 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 and scale, 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 and then collapse and unscale and ungrow. Um, yeah, I knew that wasn't that wasn't me. Um, mm-hmm. The worst part of the job that I ever had was having to manage people. <laughs> um, so we knew that we didn't want to. So we've got a lovely little collective of people that help us do bits and pieces and it feels more authentically us and we can say what we think and we can be a bit more challenging and a bit more provocative and cheeky and people people either love us or hate us which is I suppose the the mark of a decent brand right exactly yeah and so I think you know, it's something that I really, um, that really struck a chord with me there. First of all was feeling out of place in the workplace. <laughs> Hard relate, which is, <laughs> which is interesting as an organizational psychologist. But I think, you know, when I think back to the first role I had, there was very strong element there of, and, and it was in keeping with the role, even though it was an internal role, where we were there to challenge the system anyway. So in that role, it didn't feel as though that was particularly a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing that I, I really picked up on was where you said, you know, I cr- well, I created the thing that I saw around me, which I think is is what we do because it's almost inevitable. Why, you know, how would we not do that basically, you know? Um, so having the permission to, um, to do things differently is I think really giving ourselves the permission to do things differently, um, which I know is something you resonate with as well. Um, so we'll get, cause I think that's the topic of the book, right? <laughs> um, talk about that in a moment, but, um, but then this whole thing of I, you know, I lost the loving feeling about about it, and I think that's such. Um, I didn't realize starting to work with other psychologists in private practice that there there was going to be this element of disillusionment um, that 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 actually is like the path. You know, it's a little bit of a, a philosophical element whereby that thing that is causing the disillusionment is actually the path to, you know, the, the promised land kind of thing. It's, you know, the path <laughs> back to what's, yeah, exactly. You know, it's back to what's really meaningful to us because we've got off track somehow. Um, Yeah, and, you know, with Work Pirates now, I know you talked about this brand uh, being either you know you love us or you hate us kind of thing but it sounds as though that comes from a place of strength like it's not kind of fearful about it no and and sometimes we we say things and we cringe because we're like oh expecting a backlash and (laughs) we don't get any no backlash (laughs) no backlash I think we're probably (laughs) staying under the radar to a point but yes it's so the strap line I had to check with Ava just to make sure I was allowed to say this but we we dithered around for ages trying to figure out what what work pirates was, and I was on a I was on a, a Zoom with some of our collaborators, and I uh, said it's just like unfucking work, but I can't think of a more polite way of saying it. <laughs> and they were like, "Yeah, that's exactly what it is." So, you know, we checked with the the marketing 
company that we work with <laughs> see if we can get away with it we'll just put asterisks it's fine um <laughs> and but that's exactly what it is instead of having to do some kind of we work with you know forward-seeking organizations who would <laughs> make work better and people happier it's just like it's just easier the shorthand yeah yeah. And something that really strikes me about the tagline of unfucking work is that um, and thinking about some of the discussion points I've seen you raise is that there's a there's a strong element there of being on the side of the workers, which is mm -hmm. interesting because it lends itself to a kind of activism then as well about, you know, there's a reason behind this, there's a mission behind this, there's... So do you want to talk a little bit about, about that as well? Oh. <laughs> do we start with the, the capitalism and patriarchy? But <laughs> it is it is fascinating watching the, the shift of power. Yeah. With you know globalization and people being able to work remotely so the shift of power from the employers to the employees yes where we have the gift as employees of choice um i could go and work for a company in california if i really wanted to stay up really late or get up really early and never figure out <laughs> um yeah. what it is but we we can harness that cross country collaboration we don't have to necessarily up our family and and move and the companies that don't realize that they have less power than they thought they had obviously the likes of google and apple everyone's going to want to work for them and you know beat themselves and you you, you read the story for a period about, of time yeah you read the stories about these these companies who are driving people to like nervous breakdowns because they're making them work 80 hours a week and you know just look at the nhs and junior doctors and yeah, yeah. of course people are going to vote with their feet um yeah. so it's almost helping organizations realize that they don't have the power even anymore and they have to share it they have to right. individualize work they have to ask people what they want and mm. deliver it and get out of their ivory towers Exactly. Talk to people and listen. Um, yes. Because, you know, all of this blanket, we're going to get everybody back to the office or we're going to make everybody work from home. It's like, why does it have to be a blanket approach? Why can't you just, whatever works for you? Open plan yeah. offices, for me, as an adhd -er, are literally the least likely place I'm going to get anything done. Yeah, 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 yeah. Besides networking. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, hard relate. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a huge fan of networking. <laughs> I just find oh, it all yeah. cringe. But yes, it's um, put me in a quiet room on my own, leave me alone for a couple of hours, and I'll create some genius. But exactly. if you want me to work in a noisy, overly bright, distractible office with exciting people in, not a chance yeah 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 uh so i'm going to uh bring rebecca in because hi rebecca i know your tech hi. gremlins are giving you some grief today so thank you for i apologize i'm smiling in the background <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> no problem so uh, 
I really see what you did with Love to Work, with your podcasting, with your book, and then also with the work that you started to do with organizations. Also, a, a little in, in this vein of kind of empowering and, and the sharing of power back to people who were working. I really see some reflections in that. What, what? How would you kind of describe your evolution in your practice, and yeah, those kinds of uh, things too? So I think you're you're right on with that. That was exactly what drove me to align my practice in that way because I felt very much like Michelle was describing that basically. work has just become this thing where it's like a control center you know it's like everyone's supposed to do it in a certain way and it's like well why we're all humans everybody talks about you know we hate work well why does it have to be that way why do we have to hate work we don't need to hate work we've got to be there for probably I think it's something like the stats like a third of your life you spend at work well let's make it better than shit you know, like, why does it need to be crap? So definitely that's what drove it. And actually, while my personal needs have changed in that one of the things I found most challenging with private practice was the amount of time I spent trying to build client relationships and get that work, in, which meant that, you know, to support my young family, I was struggling a bit with that. So that's why I went down the road that I'm in. But what it's done is it's changed the way that I approach work now and the way in which I um, do my current role and the direction that I want to take my future career. Because now, in the past, I used to kind of go along with this idea that, you know, we're all supposed to do work in a certain way. And now I'm pretty much known as, if not the, definitely one of the people that causes a bit of a raucous at work. Like if something isn't right, then I will say, no, I don't think we should do it like that. I think we need to look at it in this way and think of it differently. And, you know, I'll push people's buttons a little bit. And sometimes, you know, people are on board with that. And other times they're like, uh-uh. <laughs> you know, we're not interested in what you've got to say, but I, I, I am not prepared to sit quietly anymore. Um, and the other thing that it's kind of driven in me is, you know, a lot of my work was kind of consulting based in that I would go from client to client, do a few months here, and then you'd move on to the next thing, you know, and it's very sort of transient, which is just the nature of consulting work. Um, and it's made me realize that that's not really where I want to make my mark now. So the company that I work for, what I want to do is get more involved in how that company works because what the organization does is creates, um, it's not just training, it's people development, people support, um, for organizations and I think it does a fantastic job of doing that but I think we could do it better I think we could do even more I think we could be more efficient in how we do that so it's kind of my experience in in private practice that dichotomy of like working in the business and working on the business it's kind of given me that lens of saying actually 
I want to work on the business, but I understand the in the business piece of, you know, delivering those things. And, and now I want to kind of continue to, to build that out in a way that makes it work better. Um, so it's been really, it's been a really inspiring journey for me. It's given me, you know, inspiration in, in ways that I don't think I would ever have gained had I not had that private practice experience. And I, I feel sure that I will go back to that um, later but yeah, yeah, it's it's been a really it's been a really interesting journey. Yeah, and I can I'm really getting shades of how a private practice experience alters the psychological contract with organizations <laughs> when yeah. we've had to be responsible for our own business. Um, you know, I I mean I always say I would never make a really good employee now because I'm I can really I can really feel what you're saying both Michelle and Rebecca that you know just staying quiet when things are not the way that you think that they should be you know we we get a bit used to as you said Michelle you know having the power back in our hands so as employees you know, if you were going to go back into a role like that as you said, Rebecca, now it's like, actually, I'm a positive disruptor on this. I'm not just going to, right. you know, I'm not just going to bring a, a lens of, oh, what's the best way that I can um, play the game? <laughs> mm. I don't know how better yeah. to describe it other than, you know, stay in the box, play the game as best as possible. Now, actually, be a good employee. Be a good employee. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and exactly. for what the thing the thing that mm. really I've started to see, um, and I remember seeing it. I remember being, you know, like a kid, and my my mum saying to me, you know, I've kind of lost out on my pension, or, or something changed with her pension because she was a um, she worked for local government for her whole career, and so mm. she had these pensions, and then they kind of cut cut some of the yes. pension at one point and she'd invested yes. her whole life in this you know 35 years of just working and I thought well if they can do that to you why are we being so loyal to these organizations that can just pull the rug out from under us whenever yeah. they like you yeah. know why can't we be true to ourselves yeah don't be a horrible person you know yeah. but if you believe in something drive yourself forward for it there are always other organizations there's always other jobs um you know other ways of 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 making your income I, I just think let's not lose our sense of self and our souls in the work that we're doing let's just just be ourselves and and be true to ourselves as best we can while we make an income yeah yeah. And what I really hear with both of you, again, is about this shifting of the power relationship that is necessary if we're going to actually have a truly collaborative partnership, because collaboration doesn't really happen with a steep power gradient, you know. Yeah that's not what that is then. <laughs> we need yeah. a flatter power gradient if there's actually going to be collaboration, if you're going to and harness um, all of the potential of the people that are working on the same mission as you, in theory, right? Yeah. So, um, Michelle, 
I'm going to come over to you, actually, and just ask you for a little bit of insight, whatever you can share with us about the book project, because I think it speaks to this a little bit. Yes. So it was almost one of those things that come to you in the middle of the uh, middle of the afternoon and just thinking, yes, this is exactly what I need to do now. And I've spent the last two years doing it. So the book is called Good Girl Deprogramming. It is a look at how society keep women and girls behaving through the use of coercive control. Interesting. So, um, yeah, a chap in the 1950s called Albert Biderman was a social scientist working for the US military. And he was tasked to figure out what magical brainwashing machine the Chinese had that were brainwashing prisoners of war from the Korean War to defect the American prisoners of war, to defect to China. So the US military were losing their SHIT because they thought that all of their, all of their GIs would be, become Chinese citizens. And Albert Biderman came up with a chart of coercion, so 12 techniques that would be used to get people to do what you want. So I'm looking at that through a lens of our good girl programming, our conditioning to, yeah, (laughs) it has unleashed so much. I've had to go Mm. through my own journey of unpicking all of that as well. Um, And yes, it hopefully is coming out this year. And so understanding those lenses of or exploring those lenses of how different frameworks it sounds as though it's kind of different frameworks maybe you know methods or cultural paradigms that are kind of shaping the way that people behave were any of those things that you suddenly thought oh I've seen that in organizations and I've seen that in organizations and so on so this so, is yeah i've got um <laughs> so it's exactly this exactly the same underpinning and i'm going to get james involved in the next book but the next book is going to be called uncorporatify so it's a look at how i hope you've got the url on that before yes. you transmit it live <laughs> we've got the url we've got we've this trademarked you know us wendy yes <laughs> we've got trademarks like, for hang all on. <laughs> hit um, pause but it's it's how how we are trained at school to be good students and how those good yeah. student habits find us in yeah. a pickle in the workplace. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I remember, God, I don't even know where I picked this up, <laughs> reading somewhere, um, that, you know, our education system, I'm really interested in my, you know, educational psychologist colleagues' perspectives on this, but my education is probably not the same as what is happening in schools now because obviously it was 40 years ago. But um, at the time, it, you know, we were all learning to um, sit still, to stay in place for a certain amount of time, to follow centralised instructions, you know. So there were all behave, sorts of things. To be disciplined, yeah, to do work, to do what we're told, not talk Exactly back. that, exactly that. It's the that. same now, Wendy. Right, Okay. My, my yeah, and I mean, I say that, but uh, exactly, you know, I've you know, I've got two now young adult children, so I remember from primary and secondary school as well. But um, the thing that really struck me when I first 
heard about, you know, why would why was that framework or approach applied versus how it prepared people for the work for work? Because in those days, and I re- I remember these days, you know, I had family who were working in mills still, cotton mills in the north of England, who were still clocking in. I had a job when I was at university during summer of clocking in. If you were three minutes uh, late, you got docked an hour's pay. You know, all this kind of all these controlling lenses essentially but it was the kind of work that we were doing that's not what we're up to now right that's not what we can we can approach work with now and kids are leaving school without any critical thinking um yeah looking you know wanting to be right and wanting to be perfect and wanting to know the right answer and 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 being able to adapt to authority so completely not being themselves it's the inverse actually of what we probably need um Rebecca I'm bringing you in here because I'm mindful that um I can't pick up on visual signals Uh, so I just wanted to kind of open the mic for your reflections on you know some of these these paradigms of control because I can imagine for someone who is really um concerned about people enjoying work and being supported to be able to be their best that you know that would be the antithesis from your perspective as well yeah uh, it really is um I've been nodding along the whole time um it's such a it's such a difficult realm to explore because I know when I was working in private practice for myself I felt like I could really have a real big voice and while I've now made the decision that I'm still going to have a voice it's muted because of control Um, and that's not from anyone in particular and it's not that I've been told to mute myself in any way but it's this underlying sense of there's other people who control your destiny. Mm. Um, And I don't think that's the way that we should be. I I think we should have that space to be able to be ourselves and to, to, in a a way of, like you were saying, um, Wendy, you know, this positive disruption in this way that actually, if we allow people to speak out and we give them the floor and we give them that space that they can actually do positive things and make change happen it might be that some of the things that people come out with or whatever that they're not super useful but let's give them that space and certainly that's a lot of the work that I do now it's giving it's creating um like programs that allow people to have that space and training people in, you know, managers in the workplace, leaders in the workplace to give people that their, their voice um, and to be open to it, not to just give them it and then say, okay, well, we've, we've let everybody talk now. Let's just put all this in the background somewhere and just store it away and do nothing with it, but to actually act on it and how to act on it and how to deal with the the tensions and the stresses that come along with that because the world is changing consistently around us all the time everything's moving everything's always changing and none of us have the answers 
you know, we don't know how to deal with the the weird things that are getting thrown at us. I mean, look at COVID. Look at yeah. you know the the political landscape that we're living in right now. It's it's completely uncharted territory. So how can we expect just because someone's a leader in an organization that they suddenly have all these answers? Yes, they have different experiences, but but why don't the people in the organizations who are working on the ground have some some ideas and thoughts too? And let's give them the floor and give them that space. Um, and that's that's just what I'm always that's how I always think now. I, I you know, anyone who comes to me and says I have an idea, I say, get out there and bloody say it then. Get, get, <laughs> get yourself in a space and tell someone about it. And yeah, yeah, they might turn around and say, I'm not interested, but at least you gave it a shot. As the Geordie phrase goes, shy bends getting out. And that is my <laughs> my my ethos on life. You don't ask, you don't get. So yeah. get yourself out there. That, you know? That's your next book, Rebecca, Shy Burns I, Getting it should Out. Be, shouldn't it? <laughs> Shy Ben's rather getting out. Um, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, you know, really, um, a lot of things come up for me here. Obviously, you know, talking about, I love this phrase of having a real big voice. I'm imagining real big voice with, you know, capitalized. Um, because have you got one? Have you got have you got that as a book? Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah, playing big. Yes. yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. And you know, we I know we we kind of all love that book too. Um, it was Tara Moore's playing big book for the people who listen back on audio. But um, yeah, so two things really come to mind about that. One is how often we struggle as psychologists in private practice to have a real big voice. And when I talk about real, I mean like authentic, like like our discussion today, we've had the tech grams, we've had, you know, <laughs> it's just, it, but this is, this is courage to get out there and to say the things and to have the discussions and to be real about it without having, as you said, Michelle, these kind of lenses of control, which we then internalize, which, you know, drive things like perfectionism and, and, um, people pleasing, people pleasing. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so as psychologists, there's so much of that that we get socialized into in different ways. I think, you know, from what I've heard from my clinical colleagues, there's a lot about the actual clinical doctorate program that socializes people into, you know, being a little bit afraid of breaking out of the box. Mm-hmm. Um, and that might start off with good intentions, but I think it, it it has developed and, you know, gone further than that which, and in ways that aren't necessarily useful. Um, and the other thing that really strikes me is, I mean, Rebecca, you talked there about, um, the amount of change that we're facing, the amount of change that's happening, whether it's pandemics, whether it's political change, but also, you know, look at what the IPCC report said earlier this year, which is BAU, business as usual, simply cannot continue. It can't mm-hmm. continue. So it's either going to be, you know, looking at these big companies that are around, the business model is not viable within mm-hmm. planetary boundaries. And therefore, 
if we don't change those things, it's it, you know life is going to come quickly uh, down the road to us, and the and then it will be in, unviable in other ways. So we're either going to change it proactively, or we're going to have to face a certain reality that certain industries are, you know, unable to continue. So. In that sense, changing and shifting power relationships in organizations has to happen. Um, supporting people to deal with those changes in a way that enables them to continue and not just shut down in horror is important. Mm. Um, and, you know, go into defensiveness and descend into conflict and so on. Um, and I think there's a lot of um necessity to continue to bolster one another to provide hope for one another to keep looking forward and to keep um dismantling things that are getting in the way as we hopefully at least move towards some things that continue to you know be viable in terms of a future and uh, you know part of me when I looked at, so in 2020, I had a big change in my direction as well, thinking about the evolutions of business, which was, I was doing a lot of corporate work up until 2020, developed systems for, program for um, getting return on investment from overseas job moves. We'd been capturing data about ROI. I had the okay from the global head of talent. We were going to roll it out across a global organization and then the pandemic hit and all the um, borders got shut. No one got moved. And at the same time, everyone in psychology, everyone went online and this business suddenly started to really, to really move. But the thing that really kind of struck me at that time was that um, I was really disheartened not by the clients particularly that I was working with, to be honest, but other organizations that I saw that I was kind of adjacent to, where I saw some of the behavior that was happening in response to this big disruption that had been talking about for 20 years was on its way. It's why we were developing agile leadership. It's why we were, you know, talking about how do we deal with the VUCA world and all these things. And as soon as the VUCA world became really real, everyone reverted back to type and like, forgot everything <laughs> yeah and uh, so Rebecca you saw that too <laughs> yes absolutely I did it's, it's nuts I, I often think we talk and, and when I say we I mean society talks a good game about many things yeah but in reality it it doesn't play out that way one of the things I think is such a sort of weird oxymoron is that you know, we, we look up to um, our, our hierarchical elders in organisations as the people who know best. And then suddenly there comes a point where those elders are too old and they all get pushed out and nobody wants to hire them. And you're like, what? That doesn't make any sense. Like, that aren't surely these are the wise people that that's, we've been looking to for all this time. And then all of a sudden, we're not interested anymore because you know, you, you're, you're over 60 or, or whatever it is. 50! 50! 50 now. And you <laughs> just like, think, what is, where's the sense in this? Like, what are we, what are we doing? We're not right. 
thinking about yeah. the value that that people can add and the yeah. individuals that 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 you know that that we need to help us move society yeah. forward yeah. in a positive yeah. way. Yeah, um, yeah. it's yeah. um. It's crazy. The messages are very different to the realities in in many ways. So I really admire both of you for kind of being, to use an ancient industrial metaphor, at the coal face, <laughs> um, in kind of provoking and pushing and cajoling and supporting and all of these other things, these big Leviathan companies and their legacy systems and legacy paradigms to actually shift direction. Um, so I'm going to come across to you, Michelle. What do you hope for the future when it comes to working with big companies to create positive change in the workplace? What are you hoping for? You know what, honestly, we've done? We've we've limited our work with big companies. Um, Interesting. <laughs> because they are too hard to stop and change so we are concentrating yeah. our efforts on the the smaller organizations where we can actually make a difference because we find mm. that well individual coaching is fine that we can do that in big companies and it's just a one-to-one -one really but if we want to actually make systemic change I know this is against what the podcast is called but you know me being contrarians like not as usual if you want to make big ch big change, you work in a, a smaller pool. And yeah. if, if you look at the number of people you can affect in smaller organizations, I can't remember the figures, but most companies in the UK, and especially, you know, well, across the developed world, have fewer than 50 people. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, and it is all about, and, and, they're sort of human-sized companies where yeah. there are relationships and you're not turned into a cog in the machine. So mm. I think if I could give some advice to those in bigger companies is look at the look at the smaller companies, look at what they're doing um, that make work more tolerable, bearable, fun, you know, moving towards Rebecca's loving the work because they are able to personalise their approach. They're able to individualise their workstation or work location or, you know, look, look at what their strengths are and harness those strengths and work cross-purpose. Because one of the things in big companies that used to drive me insane was that we're all in silos. You know, yeah. IT didn't talk to finance, didn't talk to HR, didn't talk to... The, you know, the guys constructing buildings and mm. it was just so fragmented and in a small company we can have those more organic cross-pollination type yeah. collaborations yeah yeah yes I wonder how because I think there is a, a route for change at the level of small and medium-sized companies then to start filtering and influencing the way that bigger companies work. Mm. And I'm kind of fascinated to see how that, how that evolves. Rebecca, I'm coming to you because I know that you're also involved with 
larger companies for your perspective on where you see how you see we can kind of or what are you know the hopes for the future in terms of influencing and changing some of those bigger companies um i i i i sit on both sides so in some ways michelle i agree with you i think a lot of the smaller companies can really um kind of shape the path for how we should do things because it's a lot easier for them to shift their ways of working um more quickly just you know financially it it's, can be easier um but i've always had this drive to get into these big organizations i remember when i first started my career my plan was to work in some of the big banks because i just felt like they were so archaic in their thinking that that's where i wanted to be and that's what i wanted to shift yeah. um and I still think in that way. I think if we can really get in and plant a seed, even in a small department of a large organization, if you get that right and you start to kind of ch change minds and shift thinking in those small ways, then you can you can kind of pollinate that across the organization. But the ways in which you pollinate that, it, it that's what takes the thinking those kind of relationships that you build and those learnings that kind of spread across are are um difficult to generate and you know it, it's not it's not an easy process but i think that's where we can start to really change minds yeah. um and that's what i kind of continue to to drive drive yeah yeah and so again it comes back to this shifting power relationship whereby um influencing and shifting and and uh, you know creating that more positive change um within pockets within a workforce which can then spread um mm -hmm. i mean I never remember the name, but there was um, a Nobel scientist, Nobel Prize winning scientist, who I think was won the prize for chemistry, um, who talked about how when systems are at the highest level of chaos, uh, you can create small, if you can create small islands of coherence, you can actually start to shift the overall system into a greater level of coherence. So in all different kind of paradigms we see there actually um shifting power relationships and creating positive disruptions and i think michelle your point about bringing awareness to the mechanisms of control so that we can see them and we can hopefully move beyond them is how we not just shift small and medium organizations whether it's private practices or you know bigger companies um but we also start to hopefully shift larger organizations as well awesome uh where can we find both of you on social media michelle linkedin linkedin yeah get, in, get that in the show notes yes <laughs> yes exactly um rebecca how about you same for me actually um i used to be on lots of different social media channels and and i just i, I found i was whittling away my time and life um trying to keep them up and so yeah linkedin is where you can find me um 
or yeah Fabulous. just and I, I'm really good at responding to people as well I'd, I'd love a chat I love you know to connect with people so if you want to reach out I'm fantastic yeah perfect thanks so much for being here today and also thank you to everyone who joined in and uh, had a listen or a watch on LinkedIn or in on Facebook um and thanks to Michelle from Michelle Minikin from Work Pirates and Rebecca Longman um and we will look forward to seeing you next week where we are talking about the power of neurodiversity practices uh So I will look forward to seeing you all again then. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. I'd love to hear what you think about the Inspiring Psychologist podcast. So please take a moment to leave a review and give us a rating wherever you listen to podcasts. It makes a massive difference in helping us to reach new audiences. If, like me, you're feeling inspired and moved by the private practice stories in our podcasts, please spread the word across your own networks. And why not encourage your colleagues and friends to listen to the podcast too? To make sure you don't miss out on future episodes, please be sure to subscribe to the Inspiring Psychologist podcast. You can find out more about all my guests from Series 1 at our website, inspiringpsych.com that's inspiring p-s-y-c-h dot com